We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back to the Field of 68 After Dark, presented by Bet Rivers. I'm Jeff Goodman. I'm joined by none other than former Arizona head coach Sean Miller, former Indiana head coach Archie Miller. And tonight, boys, we had a lot of action. I don't know if I expected this, but Rutgers did something it's never done before. North Carolina, listen, they've been embarrassed plenty this season, but I think they took it to a different level tonight. We'll also talk about why Xavier needs to be worried, and we'll break down this big, big 12-ranked matchup between Baylor and Texas Tech in Lubbock in what I think is the toughest environment in all of college basketball. But we, we got to start with Carolina. I mean, again, they, they've had their share of blowouts. We've seen them, Tennessee, Kentucky, Miami, Wake, Duke. But, Sean, this one – to your Pitt Panthers, your Pitt Panthers in Chapel Hill, I'm telling you, this is the most embarrassing one yet. And I think Carolina's NCAA tournament hopes are, are pretty much done. Well, I, I wouldn't throw in the towel yet, Jeff, but let's tip our cap to the Panthers. They're riding the euphoria of the Aaron Donald Super Bowl victory. <laughs> you know, they've now won three in a row. And, you know, in a season where not a lot's gone right for Pitt, they've had to overcome just about everything. You know, in the month of February, uh, tonight they secured, no doubt, uh, their best overall victory of the season. So uh, it's not easy to, to coach and get into that mid-February period of time and, uh, and actually maybe play your best basketball. But, you know, North Carolina, as long as the two stats on defense remain the same, and this is something we talked about as far back as eight weeks ago. They're just going to be vulnerable, Jeff. And that is when you don't defend a three-point shot. And tonight, Arch Pitt made what from three? They were 10 for 17, shot 59%. Right. And that's not Pitt's strength, but you give up 10 threes. I don't care the name of your team. You're vulnerable. And then North Carolina forces no turnovers. They don't get steals and blocks like they used to. So, you know, teams pretty much are not going to turn it over, right? They're not going to give them any offense uh, by, by uh, giving them lot of turnovers. And they make threes against North Carolina's defense. And really, you know, any team that feels those two things can get comfortable. And, and tonight, Pitt got comfortable. And uh, you know what? They rallied at the end, but that game wasn't close. I mean, 
at halftime, the deficit was almost 20. And throughout the second half, I don't think Pitt ever relinquished the lead. So no doubt about it. I, th I think defensively, it still uh, plagues North Carolina from maybe being the best that they can be. Arch, I mean, listen, they were 0-7 in quad one games. So you knew, like, they couldn't beat any really good teams, but at least they were beaten up on the quad twos, quad threes, quad fours. I think Pitt was 179 coming into the game. What's that, a quad four right now yeah. at home? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you can't even use that as kind of the, okay, you know what? They beat everybody they should beat. I get they didn't. Now they haven't done that. I, I just feel like, again, you know, to me, you can put all the excuses out there. They don't have Dawson Garcia. It's Hubert, first year, all of this stuff. I don't know, man. I, I just think we're making excuses for them. They've got enough talent. Like, everybody would take Armando Baycott on their team. Almost anybody in America would start Baycott and Love on their team. Would they not? No, without doubt. North Carolina has some pieces. They're talented. I mean, uh, Armando Baycott arguably uh, could be ACC player of the year, you know, when you get down to it. And Love and R.J. Davis, two highly recruited, you know, young guards. They are missing Dawson Garcia. That was a tough blow for Dawson going home to see his family at this time and it really makes their front court vulnerable and thin you know leaky black has to play some four and he's not really a great three-point shooter but that being said north carolina's mo you know all year regardless of who they're playing um they've been pretty dominant at home in the in the dean dome in the smith center they've put up some big wins by big margins um so i think to be down by 17 at half to be down by 20 plus in the game it's odd, but when you look at it, you know, they, they have a, they have a weak spot, you know, defending the three has been a problem for them. They've given up almost 10 made threes in their losses. They gave up 10 tonight at Pitt at home. But I think the thing that was very startling tonight was uh, Armando Baycott took six shots. You know, he's the ACC player of the year. He's a double, double machine. And uh, in 26 minutes tonight with some foul trouble in the second half, their best player only took six shots. So there's something's off uh, with North Carolina tonight, but they're in a situation now where they're, they're going on the road to Virginia tech. They have Louisville at home at state Syracuse at home. And then at Duke, they alternate home and road, but they're almost in play in situations right now. They don't have any more room for air and uh, to win out may still not be enough as you head into the, to the ACC tournament, but they're in a situation now where every game they play is arguably a play-in game. So they're going to have to play with some urgency here these next couple of weeks. You know, Jeff, the one thing about playing at a place like North Carolina, if you're a player, you're a coach, look, you were one of those iconic programs, right? And that's your competitive advantage, especially in recruiting. But know this, no matter who plays North Carolina, if that isn't their biggest game on their schedule, it's one of them. They're getting everybody's best shot. And right now, if you just kind of watch their team, you know, Villanova gets everybody's best shot, right? You were just at the game. They got the best crowd. They get the hostile environment. They get All the team them. most amped up. You know, the, that pink out, they pick a game to have that pink out at Providence. What game do they choose when Villanova comes to town? But Villanova, like they're like steel. They're they're just hardened, and they're accustomed to taking everybody's 
best shot. When Villanova came to play UCLA in LA, Jeff, and you were at the game in November, that was like the best crowd at Poly Pavilion in a long, long time. They took LA's best shot. They took UCLA's best shot. Carolina's the same. And, and those players, and right now, like if you don't adjust to that, you're vulnerable, especially when you give up that many threes, that percentage from three, and you do not force any turnovers with your defense. And really, I think that that's part of, of the path that they're living right now. So I, I've said this. I said this when, when Hubert got hired, and he was handpicked by Roy Williams. Okay, so there was nothing Bubba Cunningham, their AD, could do. You know, just like, obviously, we saw Kay handpick Shire. Uh, Hubert was handpicked by Roy. I thought it should have been Wes Miller. I felt like Wes had 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 experience. He knew kind of the recruiting game a little bit, you know, and, and Hubert honestly validated to me the fact that I didn't think he was the right call when he put his staff together. We've talked about this. Jeff Lebo, I thought was a terrible, terrible pick on the road. If he had made him a special assistant to the head coach, I would have been fine with it. You know, Sean May never been on the road, never coached on the floor before this year. Lebo had been gone for a while, had no success at Auburn or East, East Carolina or even Chattanooga. He'd never gotten the tournament in all his years of head coaching. Brad Frederick's been a, a good assistant, solid assistant for his career. So, so many Carolina fans right now, you know right now, are saying to themselves, do we have the wrong guy? Can we, I, I mean, I've gotten it tonight. Do we make a move after one year? I've said there's no way in hell they make a move after one year with one of their own with a guy that was handpicked by Roy Williams. But how long do you give him, guys? If they don't go to the tournament two straight years, there's no way Hubert Davis gets a third, is there? Sean? You're giving me that question, huh? I appreciate <laughs> it. I know. Well, listen, I know you no. guys are coaches. I know you don't want to talk about it. I get it. And I'll be the, the bad guy no, no, no. here. Hey, Jeff, look. It's too early to judge, you know, uh, Hubert Davis in all sure. due respect to, I mean, you got to give him the opportunity to recruit and, and look, any, anytime you go through something for the first time you learn and you learn from your success, you learn from your failure. A lot of times you adjust, you adapt and you come back and you're, you're, you're better than ever before. But I, I think like in those types of programs when change happens, there's just an immense amount of pressure. Uh, you know, I, I was I was that guy when I came to Arizona in 2009. And although a lot had happened previous to me showing up, you know, if in year two we struggled, who knows? I may have gotten uh, sent sent this direction a long, long time ago. But you know, Derek Williams showed up, Solomon Hill showed up, Momo Jones showed up. A couple of players that were in our program, Arch was there. They developed Kyle Fogg, right? And next thing you know, you make a run deep into the tournament, both feet are on the ground, and then you can really take a deep breath and move forward. And I think that everybody has to give, you know, this year it's Hubert Davis. Next year, it's it's Jonathan uh, Shire. And, uh, and I think that uh, those guys will be fine. But, you know, the one thing I think as a coach, you always want to see is what's their identity. You know, if, if you watch... Let's use Gonzaga as the example. You know, what's so impressive is faces change. One season becomes the next, but it's like efficient, fast break basketball, up-tempo, you know, pressure man-to-man, three-quarter court press, and then it's just, you watch it, the faces and names change, and that's the Zags. That's the way they play. 
And, uh, and I think for a long, long time, we've all become accustomed to watching Carolina be that same team. It's named the Carolina break push on makes and misses, right? Using defense to create offense, going inside, uh, killing you on the offensive glass. That identity changed from, from a year ago till now, right? They, they're not that same offensive rebounding team. Uh, they're, they're trying to play a little bit more skilled. And with that adjustment, it's going to take a little bit more time. But eventually, you know, we're going to all have to see that identity, and I'm sure we will. Yeah, I, I think you got to give them – at least two years. I mean, I've always said with most coaches, you want to give them a full recruiting cycle. You want to give them four years, but at places like Carolina, that that rule may not apply. And, and again, it's not like Hubert wasn't on staff previously. That's the other thing. You're not bringing in a brand new guy like both of you came in at Arizona and Indiana with nobody else. Hubert has been there, so I'm not sure he needs four but I would say there's no way you make a move after one. That is completely unfair to, again, one of the better human beings in this business. Uh, another really good human being, Steve Peichel at Rutgers. And, man, have they come out of nowhere, completely off the grid. I feel like there's always one program that does this every year. They just come out of nowhere. Well, Rutgers has done that with four straight ranked wins. Uh, tonight's coming up the – Jersey Mike's Arena Arch, not the rack. Jersey Mike's Arena. Uh, Wire-to-wire win over Illinois. Why has Rutgers been able to get back in the mix? Because they were kind of left for dead. Let's face it. What did they lose to Lafayette and and UMass back-to-back? DePaul, I think it was three games back-to-back in November. Yeah. I mean, their non-conference was really tough. They were going through um, losing um, – God, his name is is escaping me, but young, Jacob, Jacob Young, young at Jacob Oregon, young. yeah, and then big fella at UCLA, two really big cogs in in yep. in the wheel. And as they came into this year, um, Geo Baker was injured in the non conference. You know, Geo Baker's a terrific player, and they struggled in the non conference. But the thing about Rutgers is, and it's not just at the rack. Steve Peichel's teams really defend. And they play hard as hell and they will rebound the hell out of the ball and they keep themselves in the game. And when you add in the fact that Geo Baker's a senior, Ron Harper Jr. is a senior, Caleb McConnell is a senior, Paul Mulcahy is a three-year starter as a junior. And those dudes have been through not only the wars, but when they were freshmen, they were getting their heads kicked in. They yeah. went to the NCAA tournament in 2020, the year that the tournament got canceled. If you remember, it would have been their first yep. bid in I don't know how yep. many years. Those guys were so, um, sophomores at the time. Last year, they went to the tournament, played in it. And now you bring that same crew back this year, and you know everyone's surprised that they're winning. It's, they got off to a rough start. And right now they sit at uh, 10 and five in the big 10. They're one game out of first place. Amazing. And, you know, I think it's, it's amazing. It's it's the unique thing. I think that happens when you do play in the big 10 is you have such an amazing opportunities in front of you to play against great marquee teams. And when you get a couple wins like that, you know, you you get on, you get on a run. Um, But last year, Rutgers in January lost five straight games from the first of January until the end. And they rallied 
They got tough guys. They got a great staff. And Steve Peichel is just an um, unbelievable, you know, nuts and bolts guys. He just sticks with it. And they go to Purdue this weekend. If they lose to Purdue this weekend, is it over? No, they're going to keep coming. And I think that Rutgers will be there at the end. They're going to have to have a very unique resume, though, of a team with a 340 non-conference with no wins is going to have to come out of the Big Ten and maybe win 13 games to feel like they have a chance at an at-large bid. And that's with the maybe the conference tournament, getting, getting them another one. So they're not out of the woods yet, but I'm going to tell you this much right now. If you watch how they're playing defensively, they're third in the conference right now in Big Ten play only. That's how Rutgers has done it. And in conference play where it's really changed, they're shooting 38% from three. They've got it going a little bit, shooting the ball. They got a tough matchup with Harper. Paul Mulcahy's really grown up as a player. And uh, I think that Rutgers, I wouldn't be surprised at all as they finish if they're not right there for 12, 13 wins in conference going to the Big Ten tournament. And I hope that is enough because he is one of the truly great guys. You know, and, and Jeff, that's a tough place to play, man. Right. I think it's a tough. I think it's a tough yeah. trip for Big Ten teams. You know, many. Sean, Sean here's certain- the number. You ready for this number? Yeah. They are thirty-one and three at home with fans in the last three years. Yeah, I think some of the guys from the Midwest they they land in Jersey and they get into the rack there, and all of a sudden you start. They break out in the hives. You can't make a shot, can't catch the ball. It's nasty. It's just, uh, you know, you go from the Midwest to the East. And I think it's always kind of been that way. Uh, It is a tough place to play. But Steve Peichel doesn't get enough credit, man. We we laud certain coaches and we give them praise, especially those that maybe don't have the competitive advantage recruiting that some other programs do. And Steve Peichel, I mean, not only is he doing – you know, more with less, but like I played against some of the players that he had in his program yeah. a year ago, the best, you can make a strong argument, the best player in the PAC 12 transferred from Rutgers. You know, when I mean, you look at, at the big fella at UCLA, Miles Johnson, Arch, yep. right? Miles Johnson. I mean, he is, he is a key cog in UCLA's opportunity to have a great finish to the season. So, I mean, he's losing players to transfers and he's in arguably one of the top three conferences in, in the in the nation year in, year out. And he's doing it in Rutgers. And, you know, I have a soft spot for Steve Peichel for this reason. Back in the day when you'd go play at Hartford Civic Center and Chris Smith and Tate George and the fellas were out there. Jeff, when he checked in, I was like, thank God. <laughs> I got another him. slow dude out here. <laughs> I hope he hears me say that because he knows what I'm talking about. Mike was tough, would though. Foul. Calhoun right? had him programmed. He would tackle you. He would foul you. He would use his arms and set screens and, and be tough. But I'm telling you, it was just like, oh, thank you. And there was, you had no break with Chris Smith out there on offense and defense. I tell Rob Dowster Do- all the time, like, I know he's a big UConn fan. Chris Smith doesn't get enough credit from being one of the all-time great players in UConn history. Like the timing of him going there and what his teams did, I mean, that coincided with the rise of of UConn, you know. But, yeah, Steve Peichel, it was nice to see him enter the game. So soft spot for Steve.
against Illinois. They out-rebounded Illinois 46-28 to 28 in that game with Kofi in the game. I mean, you well, just Cliff, said uh, Omarui was terrific. He, well, Cliff, he might have had the best Cliff's game I've ever up. seen him You know, play. Cliff was a freshman last year with Big Miles. Now he's all by himself, and they don't play a lot of guys. I think the whole deal with Rutgers, if you really kind of look what's going on, is Paul Mulcahy. He's, he's really awesome. – he's yep. kind of playing him like Colin Gillespie a little bit at the point. He backs you down. He had 31 a couple games ago, but he's a tough dude, too. They got a tough, tough team. You know, identity, Jeff, we just talked about it. You know, like in college sports, it's just, you know, as the names and faces change from one season to the next, you do those same or those same constants in place. Wisconsin basketball, right? I mean, it's just the same. And I think like, you know, Rutgers, you know, Steve playing for Calhoun and, you know, their physicality, their rebounding. I think everybody in the Big Ten, I know Arch used to rave about how tough they are, but they rebound, they're gritty, they're nasty, they're tough. And, uh, man, he tip, tip your cap to, to those guys, man. They're doing a great job. I mean, it's, it's not early January. We're talking about entering the third week here of February, and they're one game out of first place in the Big Ten, right? Yeah, they have five left. I mean, they're at Purdue and at Michigan. Won't be easy. Wisconsin at home, who they just beat at Indiana, and they have Penn State at home. And I'm, I'm, you know, they're 10 and five. They have to find a way to get to 13 to be able to get to the tournament as an at-large team. Archer, you know, your, stat, your statistics, it, Arch, are amazing. I don't know telling. what you look at, where you get them from. CBS should hire you or he's forever, younger than you just, I have, just to be the stat guy. Like I have a guy, have, I have a guy in my ear, like all the great ones. John, I mean, he, he knows how to use the internet. You're you're too old. <laughs> He's the younger generation. I mean, he knows how to actually use Twitter. You're you're still not on Twitter, Sean. He can make a guy stupid feel stupid. There's no question about it. All There's right. Well, listen. Welcome, welcome to the Field of 68. After dark, we are presented by Bet Rivers. We are now live on Sirius XM ESPN Radio Channel 84. <clears throat> uh, we've already kind of talked a little bit about North Carolina's. Uh, embarrassment that was its loss at home in Chapel Hill to Sean Miller's Pittsburgh Panthers. We've also talked about the big win and the winning streak from Rutgers and Steve Peichel. Now it is time to talk about the one ranked matchup of the night. And that is Baylor, the defending national champs going to Lubbock, the toughest place to play in America right now, guys. And they come away with a victory. Texas tech does without, to me, their most indispensable, their most valuable player, Kevin McCullough. What does this say, Arch, about Mark Adams and the Red Raiders? I mean, they're, they're a legitimate, not only Big 12 contender, but you have to view them as a team that can advance to a Final Four. What they're doing in the toughest conference in the country and how they developed over the course of the year, how they win with defense, um, and now their offense, they have enough guys contributing consistently um, that they're a real threat not only to win more games in the Big 12, the Big 12 tournament, but to me, they're going to be an impossible team to deal with on a one-day prep in the NCAA tournament after one advanced game. So um, Texas Tech's been, if not the most impressive team, you know, to date from, from start to finish. They're one of a couple that you got to argue, but they're legitimate. Um, they're a legitimate title contender. I think you have to look at them beating Baylor, beating the Kansas game at Kansas. I mean, that game was absolutely nuts. Double overtime. They could have won that one. What they did to Texas at home. 
Um, they're as good as anybody in the country right now. I think they, 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 they should feel like they can play with anybody. And, and, and look, now Baylor, Shannon Jeff. is healthy, Sean. Yeah. McCullers hurt, but you got Shannon back. I, I feel like Mark Adams has just done a great job. McCullers has been hurt all year. Shannon's been hurt all year. And somehow they've been able to do this. And again, they didn't get the A-list transfers out of the portal. They really did. Bryson Williams, UTEP, people are like, eh, he's okay. You know, you had Adonis Arms coming from Winthrop. Now, these are he came from a winning program, and I think that was important. But these guys have bought in to their roles. Davion Warren, uh, Nadolny coming off the bench. He's a Juco uh, prep school kid who played for Chris Chan. They just got dudes that buy the culture is so strong down there, Sean, that I, I feel like, again, it's all about toughness, competing, defending. They've got their system defensively. And Mark Adams, again, has done a hell of a job moving over his seat. If you're a top five defensive team in the country, I mean, you could beat anybody on any given night, home or away, you know. And, and what you're finding is they're in America's toughest conference, and they're one of the best teams in that conference. I mean, that, that's the point. Uh, I know their home crowd is terrific. And, you know, if I were a Texas Tech fan, you know, I'd get to the game early and support that team and that coach. And drink. Uh, with all my and drink too outside. They got yeah, beer trucks. Yeah. It's, you know? it's some, hey, look, it's something to be proud of. It really is. I mean, they're they're doing an outstanding job. Their defense is uh is terrific. And and Baylor, has there been a team that's gone through more injuries than those guys? It it just oh, seems man. like the last six weeks it's been constant. But you know, losing Big John the other night, I mean, he was a big impact on their team a year ago. I mean, he, he, he seems to be a real leader. I mean, he gives them that inside presence and they're going to miss him. You know, they'll figure it out, but like all of us, you only have so many talented players. And when you lose one of them, I mean, you, you do the best you can. And sometimes your chemistry gets better or whatever, and you, you figure it out, but you, you still never quite become the best you could have become. I think Carolina's going through some of that with losing Dawson Garcia. They counted on him. I mean, he was a proven He's player. He's a good player. I mean, he would have been a very, very good ACC player, and they don't have him. And I think losing John will hurt Baylor. Uh, you know, I hope they can they can pick it up. They certainly have a lot of other good players, but you know, that was a tough blow that happened this week. And I watched it, Jeff. I got, I got sick to my stomach, you know, I was there running, Sean, running across I, half court. It's just, it's not I was, right. I was there and it was brutal. I mean, seeing the replay yep. and uh, Scott drew after the game went over to the hospital and saw him. And this is a kid who's all about, I mean, again, they call him everyday John for a reason, right? The yep. kid plays hard. He practices hard every single possession. Flo, Flo Thamba was good in that game. He was really good against Texas. But again, sometimes that first game or the game, yeah. you know, you're playing on emotion, right? Raw yeah. emotion. And and I think Texas is big. So also. Baylor, Baylor's going to need Jeremy's so, so can. Sohan. Sohan. Yeah. He, they're going to need him to almost play small ball with him at the five, like they did tonight with Mayor. But even the big guy being gone, their three guards haven't been together for how many games in a row. They haven't had Flagler, Cryer, and Akinjo. Maybe tonight was the first time in a few weeks they've even had those three. But 
Baylor's going to take a Baylor's going to take a hit with him, no doubt. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think, guys. Here's my thought. I think they can go to the Final Four. I don't know if they can win six straight without everyday John. I just you think sound like the, Ken Palm. I know you sound I, like Ken. You just, I mean, you, you're you're biting the apple right now. It's good to see. I mean, <laughs> that's exactly what he said. You the love Nets, this. You, the net you love it. to get to the Final Four is yeah. much broader. The net to win it all. We're talking about an infinite amount of, of teams that are capable. And I think your point is, your point is right. Uh, but, you know, I guess at about seven years ago or whatever it was, if you remember, Jeff, we had Brandon Ashley, and I think we won 21 games in a row at Arizona. We were kind of that wire-to-wire -wire number one team. And uh, he went down. And, you know, he went down, and it just gave me that sick feeling that I saw the other night when uh, Big John went down for, for Baylor, it's just, you know, you repair around them. You, you, you do some things, maybe even a little better moving forward, but you never quite become the team you could have become because he's just too good. He's, he's too meaningful. And, and that would be my fear for Baylor. That injury at this time is really a tough, tough blow for that team. Cause you've got to reinvent yourself a little bit. Yeah. Like you did with Ashley being out and, and Sohan's been great as kind of a face up four, now he's got to learn a different position. He's got to rebound at a, at a higher level. Now, offensively, I think they're going to be tougher to stop mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, but you know, one of the things I talked to Scott drew earlier and he said, you know, we're, I forget what, what number he said they are offensive rebounding in the country. And my take is, well, yeah, a lot of that was because everyday John though, right? That's why you're going to take that away. And that was yeah. a huge component to Baylor's success. And Arch, you made a great point. And when they get healthy, we can't judge this team until all their guards get healthy. They've all been hurt. Akinjo, yep. I think the I think prior. the bottom line with Baylor is if you watch them November, December, and before they really started to go through conference play and, and get banged up, they were clearly the favorite in everyone's mind. They were the most right. impressive team with what they were doing. And I think a big part of it is those three guards. Those three guards are good. And when they have those three guards going and they're playing well, um, you know, I think those other guys around them, you know, can do some things. But Meyer's going to have to step up and play a bigger role, you know, for he him right now. He scares me. Like, I just don't think, guys, that he's just been so inconsistent. He'll have his games where he he's can down. go for 18 or 20. Yeah. But then he'll have his games where, you know, he'll go for two or four or six. And if you've got enough other dudes, which they do, they do. They've got a lot of guys that can score 15 to 20. I can't, your boy, Akinjo, has got to get his shot going again. Yep, yep. So. You know, he played really well the last two games in terms of running the show, yep. passing the ball defensively. Like, he played really well, and he started off real well tonight. I mean, as, as you approached halftime, uh, I thought he put together a great first half, but sometimes what, what James lets bother him, Jeff, is if he misses a couple threes because he's worked so hard to become a good shooter, he's come so far from where he would have been as a young player that he presses. And sometimes he can almost get in his own head and, and sometimes almost get away from doing all of those other things that he does exceptionally well. And that's why when his shot's going down from three, it almost works the other way. But no doubt about it, they look not just James, but I think everybody has to do a little bit more or something different than they once did because of because of the injury. All right, when we come back from the break, 
will tell you why the Xavier Musketeers are in enough trouble that they might not make the NCAA tournament this year for the fourth consecutive season. Oh, they're going to make it. You're clear, guys. You got a minute and a half. All right. All right. I'm going to throw some questions out uh, from the chat here. And uh, Greg, didn't you throw me a few here somewhere? So I saw them somewhere. Now I got to find them again. All right. Who is most likely to steal a bid in the NC in the ACC tournament if a non-bubble team were to win it? So obviously Duke out of the equation, take Wake out of the equation, take Miami out of the equation, Virginia take Notre Tech. Dame out. Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech. Minute. Good call. Yeah, good call. I would Virginia agree Tech. John- Virginia Tech's that team. Well, let me ask you this. Where where would you say Virginia is at this moment? They, they, they would be in that. They, they're not in the tournament. So if you've right. said that they could win the tournament, they'd be a bid stealer. Yeah. I just think their style of play is just, it's so hard on a quick turnaround. You know, they're a team that has that identity. They're used to winning. Hey, they have, they 30 have seconds. a point guard on their team who played in the national championship game yep. and won it. And, you know, could they win enough games in the ACC tournament? I mean, they just went to Duke and won, right? All right, quick one. I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you, Sean, because you are long-winded yeah. at times. 15. Uh, quick, five seconds, each of you, from Jordan. Can Texas Tech win the national title? Ten. Yes or no, Arch? No. Sean? No. Five seconds. If you want to know why, they don't shoot the Go three well enough. They do not. You're right. All right. Welcome back to the Field of 68 After Dark, presented by Bet Rivers. We are on Sirius XM ESPN Radio, Channel 84. Jeff Goodman here with Sean Miller, with Archie Miller. It's been a crazy, crazy night. And I think the craziest thing that might have happened tonight wasn't Carolina losing at home to Pittsburgh. Wasn't Rutgers winning another one at the rack. I think it might have been Xavier in this slide now and losing at home at the Santa Center, which Sean is going to talk about here in a minute, to St. John's, a very average St. John's team. Now they got some talent. Julian Champagne's terrific. Now Xavier's three and five in their last eight with home losses to St. John's and DePaul. Upcoming at UConn, at Providence. Sean, is this a, a Xavier team that has got to be worried right now? And you know how this fan base can get. Should they be worried about not being in the tournament for the fourth straight year? Well, they can't, they can't think like that. But here's what I will say. We have enough information watching Xavier that they they are a very good team. Right now, they're an NCAA tournament team. I happened to be at their last game against UConn, and and they they really beat UConn almost from start to finish. Um, here's what I would say: that program, its history has always been built on some level of toughness and having a chip on your shoulder. Back in the day, it was the conference that Xavier played in. It then went to the Atlantic 10 conference and, you know, it didn't always look right. Not every team was perfect, but there was just an inherent toughness that when you played Xavier, you knew that there was going to be a highly competitive group. You know, things have changed. They're in the big East. Their arena is beautiful. They are talented. They're skilled. They, they have, they've played good basketball and like, 
tonight they didn't play with that chip on their shoulder. And, you know, and I think like just even me being a fan of Xavier and Travis is, you know, like that's unacceptable. Like they, they, they have to bring it every single night. That Big East Conference, you know, Mike Anderson is very, very good coach. I mean, when you play them, their style is tough. If you're not ready at the tip, I mean, you're vulnerable. And, and I think that loss tonight had a lot to do with just Xavier's overall approach and readiness. You know, coming off of a, a big home win against UConn, it was almost like they just they tried to feel the game out. And you can't do that in today's Big East Conference, and you certainly can't do that against a gritty, tough-minded St. John's team. And, you know, those guys, they have to adjust because maybe what they need is that gauntlet that you mentioned, Jeff. Sometimes when you look at it the other way, it brings out the best in you. I remember watching them early in Madison Square Garden against Virginia Tech when they had a couple guys out and sick, and they found a way, and they, they looked like that team with the chip on their shoulder. They have to play that way down the stretch because no matter how skilled and how much success they've had, there's a, I mean, how many teams are playing for a lot right now on their remaining schedule? I mean, just about every one of them, you know? So I think it's just, uh, it was disappointing to watch how they played tonight. I think they got what they deserved and hopefully they can bounce back. Arch, I'm going to give you some numbers. Yeah. Okay? Since 1985, Pete Gillen, seven of nine. Skip Prosser, four of seven. Thad Mata, three of three. Your brother, four of five. Chris Mack, eight of nine. That's 26 of 33 years since 1985 they've made the NCAA tournament. Why? I, I Listen, I watch him, and the one thing I say is, and Sean, you were just there, so you can weigh in after, but trying to play these two big guys together defensively, I know you want to get your five best players on the court, and, and Fremantle and Nunji are clearly two of your five best players but I just feel like the game has passed that by defensively. Nunji can step out. He can shoot it. But I just don't know if those guys fit together defensively the way you need to play in today's college basketball. You know, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, Arch, I, you know, you, you can weigh in. But the one thing you look at when you do play two bigs is their skill level. And, and can one of the two play on the perimeter defensively more than the other? So you're covered there. And, and I think that, yeah, look, they've gotten to where before today's game, they were a no-brainer. I mean, some people had them as high as a five seed in the, in the tournament. So I think you have your answer to the question. A lot it of it work? came without Fremantle, Sean. A lot yeah. of those wins came without yeah. Fremantle. No, That's you're all right. I'll say. Yeah, you're right. But you have to play <laughs> with the chip on your shoulder. You have yeah. to play. It starts hard. there. You, it you, starts I mean, playing Xavier basketball is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, and, and just – it's not even Xavier's basketball. It's, hey, look, in February, Arch, we talked about it earlier, some teams have given in. Some teams are playing with house money, no pressure. Hey, some teams are playing for everything. They've worked since early June through COVID and, and have said we're going to be picked this year on Selection Sunday, and it, it's a desperation – of like no one in the country is going to play harder than we are. If we lose, we lose. But the effort level is going to be unquestioned. And, uh, you know, I, I think that to watch Xavier, they almost appeared to be spoiled in, in their performance tonight. And I hope they, they learned their lesson and they can bounce back because they have to play at St. John's. 
They have to play at UConn. They have to play at Providence. And all three of those games, you're going to play against a lot of toughness. you got to be that yourself. Arch, you don't have to be nearly as diplomatic as Sean does when talking about Xavier. Um, tell I know. Me. Yeah, I mean, tell me a little. Are you worried that they don't get in with their remaining schedule? I'm not, I mean, I'm not worried that they're not going to get in. I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at their remaining schedule with how they're defending right now, they're going to be favored in one of their remaining five games. It's not good. But, like, you know, you win one of those, the next thing you know, it, it changes. Yeah. But Xavier's downfall here in February and why they've been a little bit inconsistent is whether their offense dictates their defense or it's just their defense, but the defense is plummeting. They gave up 90 points at home tonight to St. John's. And I think at the end of the day, even though they didn't have Nate Johnson tonight, who's a big, big part of what they do, sure. defensively in the Centos Center, I've been in that game myself. That's a hard game to get 90 points in that arena. And I think if Xavier's going to, you know, right their ship and start to, you know, play the way that they want, which is a top five, six seed, which is probably where they're, where they're at defensively is where they've had a lot of slippage here recently. And, um, you know, I think they have five games left um, at UConn, at Providence, Seton Hall at home, at St. John's and Georgetown at home. They're going to have to play really, really well to be in those games, not, not win them. I mean, yeah. I think, Sean, of all these games that's going on these next three weeks, even this week, the teams that right now are dogs in terms of how they're competing, that's what it takes at this time of year to survive the last three weeks of the season because you're everybody's banged up. The pressure is up. The games are at the highest level of emotion that you're going to be in. Sometimes the shots aren't going to fall. The road environments are going to be ruthless. And you're banged at, up at the end of the day, up. at the end of the day, the teams that are absolutely grinding you during the games that are competing and playing, they're the teams that you got to have some faith in. So tonight's performance probably doesn't do that. But Xavier has shown this year they're a very good team. Jeff, sometimes a performance like tonight is the wake-up call that you need. Right. Yeah. You know, because it's a reminder that, yeah. like, you know, you want to play around with the game. I mean, it's like, you know, that analogy of you ever see a little kid enter the swimming pool versus, you know, an older person. You know, the older person, you know, dips their foot in, takes them five minutes. They have a bad back. They go down the ladder. That's you, You see Sean. this little kid coming Sean, that's you. jump in and jump, jump in cannonball. <laughs> like, if you're, if you're Xavier, you got to be the little kid jumping in the pool. Like, yeah. let's go, man. March, man. Paul Scruggs, this is it. Preseason, yeah. all Big East player. That's very right. good player. You want to leave Xavier and have an opportunity to be a pro. Nobody cares about the team that, that doesn't make the tournament or that doesn't play well uh, at the end of the year. And you know what? I watched the game last night. That reminds me of, you, you want to talk about toughness, the Wisconsin Badgers. Names and faces change. No Those doubt. guys went into yep. just a rabbit assembly hall, and they went and they just played and they played. They got down, they got up. And I'll tell you this, I saw at the end of the game, I've never seen a team dare another team to make a game-winning shot. They literally just backed up and just said, go ahead, shoot a wide open three. If you make it, you win, but we know you're not going to make it. And I think Indiana took like three in a row. And here's my question for this Field of 68 podcaster, Arch. 
Are they using your shooting drills? Is like, what is it that you did that prevented them from making those wide open, uncontested game winning shots? Like, I wish I had video footage of it. They didn't even put a hand up on two of them. What what is it that you did out here where you live? I'll I'll leave the location anonymous. (laughs) But what did you do to not allow them to make those shots, Arch? I didn't see the game, so I can't I can't comment. But uh, they're hopefully they're not using my shooting drills. They didn't work either. <laughs> I I love the brotherly banter uh, between the two of you here. That's uh, little brother just not going back at at, at big bro here. So yeah. uh, we're we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna hit a little bit on UConn and why they're back. They might have got a wake up call a couple weeks ago against Creighton at home. We'll also tell you, Sean Miller has a national player of the year pick that you are going to be absolutely blown away by. No, so make why? Sure you blown stick away. Around. Why would I be blown away? Blown away. I'm, gonna be, I'm blown away sense. by it, so make sure you stick around. I know why Mama Hog's mad at you. <laughs> You're clear. Oh, man. Yeah, Mama Can we Hog. get Mama Hog on show to 68? We are. We're going to get Mama Hog on. I Can promise I be on that you, show? Yeah, we'll get Goody? her. Jeff? I got, I got advice you for goody. you. Don't go to Arkansas anytime no. soon. No, I'm not. Stay right I'm here. not. There's <laughs> no chance I'm going there. They will absolutely uh, kill me. <laughs> All right. Question. Uh, is Kofi Coburn overrated from Rob, Rob Doster? I think he asked from, this question. From Rob Doster? I, 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 that's what it says on the, the, the group chat here. One minute. Doster doesn't want to get into that, that battle really with the and I. Tell him why. Tell him Kofi, why Kofi is Kofi, not overrated. Kofi's not overrated. Kofi arguably uh, is the Big Ten Player of the Year, and he's arguably right up there in National Player of the Year. Is he the biggest human that you guys have Zach ever? Zach Eady's you, bigger than him. Well, he's yeah. he's bigger this way, but Kofi is bigger this way. I don't hey, know. If, I, I don't. I don't know if I've come across a big that big and that athletic built and can do what he does off the ground. I don't know if I've seen a big that big who jumps the way he jumps and runs the way he runs. A couple years ago, the big fella from New Mexico State. Oh, uh, Sim, 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 yeah, Sim Bular is the biggest biggest person I've I've watched walk on a basketball (laughs) basketball court. I mean, I. uh, I didn't really know what to tell our big Five. guy. When Tarzuski looked like he was 6'4", I knew it was, go. it was big. All right. Welcome back to the Field of 68 After Dark, presented by Bet Rivers. It is Wednesday night. We are on Sirius XM ESPN Radio Channel 84. We are also live on Twitter at the Field of 68, live on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe there as well. I am Jeff Goodman from Stadium. I'm with Sean Miller and Archie Miller, and I can't wait for this one. I've been waiting all hour for this, Sean, because we're going to go through our National Player of the Year and our National Coach of the Year now, and I know who you're going to pick, unless you were just throwing me off before the show started, but I know who you're going to pick. It's going to be a little bit of a drum roll here, but I don't want to give it away yet. I kind of want to wait on this one. So I'm going to let Arch go first and then me, and then we're going to get to you. So Arch, start us off. Who is your national player of the year and why? Oscar is my national player of the year. I don't think that a player um, does more for their team uh, than him. 
And I don't think if you take him off their team, Kentucky's anywhere near uh, where they would, where they are right now without him. I, I mean, I'm not going to say how many games they would win, but what he does for Kentucky and how he pretty much controls the paint for their team, the statistics that he puts up, Oscar to me is, is the national player of the year today. All right. So I'm going to go next and I'm going to go with Johnny Davis because I don't know if I've seen a player this year mean more to his team. And I know you could say that for Oscar too. You could say it for everybody we're going to pick because that's why they're the, they're the national player of the year. You take them off their team. No, but there's some guys on good teams that you can right. take off and they're still going to be pretty good. Exactly. You know, like I don't think like if you Johnny take Johnny Davis, I don't think Davis, Wisconsin and Kentucky are going to be anywhere near the team if you take those two guys off the team. I mean, honestly, I I say without Johnny Davis, I'm not sure they're an NIT team. Like they probably are, but I'm not sure they're a definitive NIT team. And what Johnny Davis has done in West Lafayette, in Bloomington, there are not. I mean, those are two of the top eight venues in the country, toughest places to play. Do you what know what he he's has done? done? You know what he's done for the first time, I think, in program history? I'm not sure the date. They've won at Michigan State, Breslin. They've won at Assembly Hall. And they won at Mackey Arena. He averages 30 and 11 in those three wins on the road this year. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, how do you not give it to, to Johnny Davis here? How do you it's, not give it's, it? It's easy because America's team, America's best team, the Zags, yeah. have the best player, Drew Timmy. He's number three in terms of camp. I want you to think about this, okay? So far this season, we have a lot of games left. He's 153 for 241 from two, 64%. 64% on 241 two-point shots. Do you know how dominant that is? And, you know, look, the other, the other part is, I mean, you, you have to reward these guys for the way they're winning. He came in as a freshman, Jeff. They were 31-2. and two. His sophomore year, they were 31-1. and one. And right now, they're 21-2. and two. And, like, the days of saying, hey, they don't play anybody have ended a long, long time ago. He, he scores on on all comers and he'll score in this year's NCAA tournament, but he's not getting enough credit for a, I believe the career he's had so far, but let's just look at this year alone. That statistic. I would just ask and Arch, you, you, you may even have the answer because of your ability to spit out stats, but I, I want to know another player. Spit them out. Arch. Close. I want to know another player that's even close when you consider that many twos attempted and that many made, man, through through 23 games. I mean, it's it's uh I'll give you remarkable. a stat, coach, for his career, for his career against tier A opponents. All right. This tier is amazing a, that you're saying tier A, <laughs> tier A opponents. The only thing that matters when you look at Gonzaga or you look at Drew Timmy, tier A. Yeah, the best of the best teams. He's shooting 67% from two in his career. Come on now. Career. Career. That's insane. And it's also their style. Uh, it's the style. But, but, but I'll tell you, he, he can really play. You know, I recruited him out of high school. Uh, we, we didn't make the cut, unfortunately. He was one of my favorite players that Me I too. watched that summer. I loved, I just loved everything about him. And, uh, and you know, he just, 
he's a really tough guy to deal with. I mean, he, he really is. I, I think he's the national player of the year. All right. So the guys we haven't mentioned that are in the equation, you have to put EJ Liddell in the equation. Half EJ Liddell. I just said Oscar is the national player. EJ Liddell is the Big Ten player of the year, not Johnny. So you're Davis. picking him over Johnny Davis, then. He's the hardest cover in college basketball. I would agree with that. I would agree with that, and I think he's gotten so much better. And you can speak to this, Arch. Defensively, he's gotten so much better this year than he was a year ago. Slim down, blocking shots. Hey, look! Right uh, now, know. Ohio State's tied for first place in the Big Ten. Whoever wins the next two weeks for the big 10 regular season title. And maybe there'll be some head to head matchups in that game is going to win either big 10 player of the year, co big 10 player of the year. Um, but EJ Liddell is shooting 40% from three. And He's when awesome. he's shooting 40% from three and they're playing him at the four and the five at times. And he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a point guard really arch. It's just, he's just such a hard cover because I don't, I don't know if I've seen a guy who's that physically strong, you know, and that physically like strong and athletic at his size who can do what he can do on both ends of the floor. He's a very sturdy player. He's going to be a terrific NBA player. Two more guys we haven't talked about and we don't need to talk about them, but we got to mention them. And then you guys can add who we forgot. But I think you're down to like six guys at the top. Kofi and yep. Ochai Ochai Agbaji's got to be in there, doesn't he? Yeah. Ochai, you know, if does. if if can't, whoever wins the Big Twelve, like they almost should be like automatically. <laughs> right. Who do you give it to national... if it's Texas Tech, though? Who do you give yeah, it to? Right, but it's like if you win the Big Twelve regular season this year and you, you're the best player Kansas on that is two team, games up right it, now. Yeah, it's it's almost like you. Not that you should be the national player of the year, but uh, if his name's not Drew P Timmy, he should be national runner-up player of the yeah. year. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, those guys are are all very very good. And Jeff, we had this, we had this a little bit earlier today. Why? Because I think if Auburn wins the outright SEC championship, I think Walker Kessler should be the SEC player of the year. Why wouldn't like he, that. why isn't he in the, in the realm of these guys? Because what he's doing is historic. Well, Cause you've got Oscar, you've got Oscar as the player. So you're saying if Auburn beats out, if Auburn Kentucky, runs the table here down yeah. the stretch and they win yeah. the outright deal. Um, and most he, people would have Jabari Smith who had a great game today. He but, was terrific tonight. Yeah. But you're saying the difference with Auburn is its defense and Walker Kessler arguably maybe not even arguably is the best defensive player in the country. He's averaging. He had, I don't think he had six or seven more blocks tonight. He's averaging almost six blocks a game. Their team is doing some crazy things right now uh, defensively. And uh, I all think right, we he, got three minutes. He, he we got to get steals. through national coach of the year. All right. I, I, this one, I have no idea where you guys are going. I'll, I'll start off because I'll save you a little bit of time here. I'm going with a guy that I saw last night. In Providence, I know they didn't beat Villanova, but I've been around that Providence program enough to know what Ed Cooley is doing is historic. And they could still win the Big East regular season title for the first time. Providence, they've got a new practice facility. Uh, but, man, listen, at, at, at the uh, Dunkin' Donuts Center, guys, 
They don't even have a pregame meal for the media. They have punch. They don't even have waters out there. They got nothing. He's still Cooley's See, that's got where nothing. You get yourself Bare bones in, in it. That's where you get yourself in trouble. Just when you think you won the Providence fans over, you just lost them. <laughs> now they're going to hate me again. And yeah. I'm going to tell a story. Stay around everybody listening for the afters. I'm going to tell a phenomenal story about how I flipped the fan base or at least five of the fans at Providence last night from hating me to loving me. All right, Sean, you're up next. National Coach of the Year. Make it quick. Bruce Pearl. Why? In 30 think, seconds, why? Think about a year ago, self-imposed. Um, didn't have, what, half the roster in April that he currently has. Um, added some amazing pieces. They've had this year's maybe overall best wins. Some of the best wins, they're, you know, SEC is right below the, the Big 12, you know, with the Big 10 next to it. Uh, amazing conference. And it's just when you watch Auburn, think about Auburn. Have you ever seen Auburn's arena look like that before? And uh, Never. That, that's, that's, that's my national coach of the year. And I'm assuming they're going to win the, uh, the SEC. And with that, I think uh, that's, that's who should get it. Arch, I left you about 40 seconds. Who are you picking and why? Greg Gard. Ooh, interesting. I mean, they, they, were, they were picked in the bottom half of the Big Ten to start the year. They lost about five seniors off of last year's team. Nobody really counted them as being one of the stronger teams in the Big Ten. They won Maui. They're at 20 and five. They're in first place in the Big Ten. And um, he's done an unbelievable job. I know Johnny Davis, but nobody came into this year and said, hey, Greg Gard's going to be great. They got Johnny Davis. I mean, what he's done with this team has been as good as any coach, including – I think what Cooley and Mark Adams have done, he's done an unbelievable job. And, and, he any, wins the Big and Ten. any coach that with the Big Ten title online that plays six feet off of back-to-back-to-back three-point shooters <laughs> for the title, you can mean, no you should give it to him right there just for just for having the courage to do that. Maybe All right, thanks. Thanks for joining us, everybody. For uh, Archie Miller, for Sean Miller, I'm Jeff Goodman. Build the 68 after dark every single night. I'm serious. And you're clear. Nice. All right. By the way, yes. Jabari Smith, he's the freshman of the year nationally, and he's the number one pick. You, I'll give you credit. You said that a long time ago Early. before everybody, everybody I think everybody's jumping on one. Chet's uh, efficiency and all his numbers right now. I'm just here to tell you right now. He had 30 to 90 at seven threes in that game. Yeah, he's a stud. Oh. He's he's terrific. I, I I think a lot of people still want to pick Chet because they see. I mean, he's shooting the hell out of the ball now, and, and he is kind of he is those six foot three four men who are guarding him. He shoots right over top of them. Well, you are right about that. I mean, that's what they got in, in Pepperdine, no those doubt six, about it. Six four and a half, maybe. You know, I'm going to see the, the St. Afters. Mary's. Go ahead. Did I interrupt you? No, no, you're good. St. Mary's uh, versus San Francisco. I'm going to see that game tomorrow night. That's uh, I should really chart where I've gone. I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some good games. That'll be a really good game in the WCC. An important game for St. Mary's. What's the best atmosphere you've seen this year, Sean, that you had never seen before? You know, I went to Colorado State early on, and uh, I I think they've had 
you know, just a great season. So having never been there before and look, it isn't like I've been at 20 games like you. I mean, I, I mean, uh, I would say that, uh, that environment, it just, you know, it's kind of what's, what's great about college basketball to see a, a place like Colorado state and Fort Collins get behind a team like they've gotten behind. It's impressive. Yeah. I like Fort Collins that, that, I always try to find a place that I've never been before each year. Yeah. Try to find at least one of those, if not more than one. And uh, Fort Collins was that place for me this year. And it was, it was a blast. I wanted to get to UAB this year. Have you ever been been. to the pit, New Mexico, Jeff? Never, never, no, no, never. You need to get Richard Patino to get you that same hotel deal you had here in, in Tucson. (laughs) And, uh, and I'm telling you, like you, 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 uh, you need to make a trip there. That place is something else. And uh, when it's rocking, they had a right? great, when great win last night over, over Wyoming. And uh, man, I tell you, you go in there, that's a different feeling as well for the visitors team. All right. We're going to, we're going to get some questions out of the chat here, but first I, I want to tell everybody kind of how I flipped this, uh, this Providence uh, fan base last night, or at least part of them. So we walk into the arena and uh, and Fanna, me, Fanna, and Terrence Oglesby, we we did a kind of a contest for two fans, uh, students, and we we took them to Federal Hill, which is a great spot in Providence for a good Italian spot. So we 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 paid for their dinner. Then we walked down uh, into the building. So we walk in, and the students are already they're already jumping. They're in there. They're they're ready to go. They've been drinking since you know, probably in class. My guess is whatever they brought into class, this water bottle did not contain water yesterday (laughs) morning. So we get in there and Fanta walks in first and everybody's cheering for Fanta. We love Fanta. We love Fanta. We love everybody. It's crazy. He's like, he he's an A-list celebrity at every big East arena. And then I come in behind him and it's F you Goodman. We hate you, Goodman. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, what did I do? All I did was call you guys lucky months ago when you were, when you beat Wisconsin, you got them without Johnny Davis. You got Seton Hall coming off a 17-day pause. You got UConn without Sonogo. Things change. Fans don't understand that. What I may say in mid-December is it, it changes as you beat teams full, you know, full throttle. Like, I get it. So, anyway, so – they put us or they put me and Fanta on the other side with Terrence Oglesby on the other side uh, in front of the, there's two student sections in both end zones. So they put us in front of them. There is no room. It's almost like Duke guys. They're on top of me and I can see it as I walk up and I'm like, Oh man, this could be rough. Like I don't, I mean, I could get a beer poured on me tonight. It might be <laughs> that bad. So I walk right up to like, five of these dudes and i said hey guys all right come on come with me and they're looking at me like what huh i said all right we're going up i'm gonna buy each one of you two beers you can't drink both you got to give one of them to to one of your buddies back down here but we're gonna go up i'm gonna buy you each five beers uh two beers so 10 beers total now the prices man it it cost me like what i paid at la paloma for that (laughs) i mean it was like 13 bucks a pop but you know what guys it was so worth it because I had these dudes on my side last night. They were like, they, don't, they don't remember. So this morning they're still pissed. 
they probably are pissed. They're like, I sold out for two beers for, for, for being able to dump <laughs> you, one on good. You Goodman's paid head. forward. You paid forward, right? Yeah. Listen, I would want somebody to do it when I was a student at Arizona. If somebody had, had done that to me and bought now back then we couldn't drink. I don't even know. <laughs> are students allowed to drink in Tucson and Mikhail? God, I don't know. It sure feels like they do though. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like everywhere they're allowed now, everywhere. Yeah. But that Providence environment was was really, really, really good. I don't know if you saw the video of the, when they played the Taylor Swift song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it, it's listen, we missed it last year. You guys missed it more than anybody because you were two places where it was a huge home court advantage. And it's fun to coach in those environments, isn't it? Yeah, you depend no, on it. Yeah, it's 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 certainly different for sure. I mean, uh, the crowd just adds everything you, to all sports. Can, but I almost feel like college basketball almost a little bit more means a little bit more. You can probably ask Ed Cooley. The dunk has probably won him five games. Yeah, I mean, sure Cooley last year didn't even play at the dunk. He played in his in his gym on campus. That's right. Think he about did. the they played a game right? there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did. I saw that a few years ago against Seton Hall. The floor was wet. They had to resume the game the next day, the next yeah. morning. Nobody there. I stayed overnight that night. And uh, yeah, in that little small rinky dink uh, old alumni hall uh, practice facility, basically. Um, where, where's the, the, the toughest place you guys have ever had to go and coach where the fans were just ruthless because providence they are ruthless ruthless yeah yeah Our, you know i still remember or, that Sean. and yeah. and I, I think we talked to ed cooley about this i'm telling you like going all the way back to 1987 88 89 90 there eric murdoch would have been playing carlton screen marty conlin i mean that was my least favorite trip then Really? Which was, you know, to the that was when you called it the the Providence Civic Center. They just yep. they have a way of of making you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you a hidden gem of a place, and it's really really difficult to the point where no one wants to go there. Go ahead. Is if you ever played UTEP in El Paso, Texas, oh. with a sold out crowd, we did that when Tim Floyd was there. That gave everybody a different feeling. <laughs> I hate El Paso. That was, I hate, that you know why I hate El Paso? <laughs> I, I drove once when I had to drive out to Arizona and I was 19 years old. I had a fake ID buddy of mine and we stopped in El Paso and we tried to get into some club in there. And the dude took my fake ID and, and he caught me on it. And I just said to him, I said, man, like, just give it to like, I'm going to college. Just give me the damn fake. He wouldn't, he took the fake ID. Yeah. And then yeah. we got lost. We got lost and man, we got flipped off by a bunch of dudes uh, in the back of a pickup. I was scared. I was scared in El Paso. It was a yeah. bad, bad trip, but you're right. El Paso hey, the, other, is the other one that sometimes I almost feel like no one talks about it because it's like an easy pick is the carrier dome. I mean, it's when, when the carrier dome, but when it's rocking, I mean, yeah. when, yeah. again, when you think back when I was there, I mean, you got Derek Coleman warming up down the other end. I mean, it just was, uh, it just was a different feeling. I mean, you just, uh, it was very intimidating. You had to be ready to go. Arch, was it Duke? No, Cole Fieldhouse. Really? Yeah, that was really? tough too. 
when Gary, Gary Williams yeah. and Steve Francis and Lonnie Baxter and X-Ray Hip and Juan Dixon and Steve yeah. Blake, I can keep going, but Terrence Morris. you played in Coldfield House. That was the nasty, nasty place to play. And yeah. There are a whole, I think one whole side of Cole Fieldhouse and starting lineups had newspapers in front of their face. I mean, it was just yeah. absurd what they had going. Yep. Duke, Duke's always a, it, it is, but I, I think you're more worried about the jump ball at Duke than you are the people over there jumping, jumping up and yeah. down. But Cole, Cole Fieldhouse had something else. Um, Mackey Arena is really hard. At least it is for, you know, it, it's hard for every it's game. It's gotten in really end. crazy over the last, I feel like. It, I'm telling you right really now, that place up. is charged up. Really yeah. charged up. Maggie's really charged up in there. Um, all right. A couple of questions here. Uh, Phil Castillo says, who are the players to have? Who, who do you think could have the biggest March Madness? Who, you know, we always look for that, right? Coming in March, the Steph Curry's of the world, the guys that can just step up and carry a team. You know, uh, there are a lot of good bigs this year, but like who's that? And we've looked at it point guard wise. There aren't a lot of them. Like Colin Gillespie last night proved to me, and, and I don't know why I've questioned it, but I always do because you watch Colin Gillespie, and, and I said it to him earlier this year, it's like he's a robot. It's like he's a damn robot. And he he took that as a major compliment when I told him that. He's and trained. I said it to him again last night, and, and he kind of smiled, but like the dude is just a winner, and he's just so mentally tough. Yeah, that, those are the things about Villanova that make them. I don't care, like they got their holes. I get it, but I'm still not betting against Villanova come March and maybe April. They're they're so accustomed to taking the other team's best shot. Right. The the visiting arena's biggest crowd. You know the white out, pink out, gray out. They're always choosing Villanova, and and they know no other way. But I'll, I'll tell you that performance that Colin Gillespie had because he's still getting over his ankle uh, injury from he's not, he's uh, not a hundred percent. I mean, not. it was impressive, man. He, uh, he put 30 on him and you know what? They needed all 30. Yeah, if did. he didn't have a big night and Providence, I think would have left uh, the winning team, but he is, man, he's tough. And you know, you, you love him because of the injury he sustained last year. We talked about injuries, right? You yep. know, big John leaves Baylor. It's they're going to do the best they can, but that's a significant loss. Think about Villanova last year when they lost him. What a huge loss that was for their team. But to see him come back and be the player that he is right now, uh, he could have a huge, huge march. He's veteran, tough, older, knows what to do. Pressure, I think, brings out the best in him. I, I, think I asked a, him, Arch, I think a I guy asked Gillespie is, last night. I yeah. said, uh, you know, was there ever a thought of just, leaving you know being done with school and what he said to me was I, I wasn't going to be healthy enough to work out for teams so it didn't make sense anyway you know so really the decision was kind of made for him at that point that he was going to come back and he's just fun to watch because again he's so even keel yeah you don't know if they're up 20 down 20 I don't know how many guys are like that I asked Jay Wright that and he said we've had a bunch of them and, and they said they kind of look for him because mm -hmm. Brunson was like that. Arch, Archie yeah. Diacono was just like that. They've had three of them. And I think, in a way, you look at, at Gillespie, and I think he's learned a little bit from Brunson and from being handed down from Archie Diacono. I think that um, 
if there's a guy in March that could like really, not that he hasn't taken off yet, but they're going to need him to. So I know he's going to do it in the way yeah. that they're playing with him right now. But you could see Jaden Ivey having totally. a three or a four game run, kind of like Carson Edwards did a few years ago, where it's yeah. just almost like a one man band. But uh, he's tough to deal with right now. And uh, he could be a guy that in the NCAA tournament that could really, he could explode a little bit if you're looking for that um, type of guy. Are you worried about Illinois, Arch? Are you worried? Because Curbelo has not come back to what we thought he would come back to. Frazier's good, but now he's struggling a little bit. I feel like they haven't shot the ball in the last two and a half games very well, and they depend on a three. When you have the big fella inside, like they do. And if they're not going to make threes, it just changes that what a team can do. But Illinois has been consistent enough and they're very good on defense where they're going to win. I personally uh, don't think that Andre Curbelo is helping them right now. I think when he's out, they developed a really good chemistry with uh, Frazier and Plummer and their rotation. Now for them to reach and maximize their, their deal. Can he get back to being who he was? He just has had a really tough year with the concussion and whatnot. And it just seems they're not all in sync when he's in there because Trent Frazier had handled the ball so much that he got into a great groove without him. And uh, you know, when he's back, Trent becomes more of a off the ball guy. Uh, But I'm not worried about him. I think they're, they're a sweet 16 type of a team. The big fella is obviously a big problem, but. Uh, Jeff, you know. I, I also want to bring this up. And I believe this, every coach agrees with me that was coaching last year in COVID. Things happened in March last year that never, ever would have happened if fans were in the building and COVID wasn't present. I mean, I want you to think about this really, really carefully. Oregon State was in the game to go to the Final Four. And I know they lost a lot. But remember, they had to actually win the Pac-12 tournament to get in. And right now, they're 3-20. and They're 3-20. and They did an awful job in the portal, Sean. (laughs) No, they did. I wasn't paying attention, obviously. but, But a year ago, and I told Arch this, like, they were physical, and Wayne Tinkle's teams are physical, but it's just even even like, you know, traveling to the first four, if that's in Dayton, you know, think about the regions. There was no regions. Everybody went to the same, same place. place. And, yeah. and like you send people to regions and you have Kansas's fan base there. Don't don't think that maybe they bow out when they when they did, you know? And uh yeah, it's, like it's, Arizona. Arizona goes to Portland this year, right? They're going to have fans, right? Wherever they go, whether it's San Diego, San Diego, it'll be San Diego. Yeah. Hey, think yeah, about no, UCLA different. having to go to the first four in, 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 in Dayton with no fans in Michigan state playing them with fans. Right. Big difference. Right. Big. And that's unfortunately for the PAC 12 team that they send to the first four this year. They won't have it's, a pack. It's really not the, the first, first four. four. It's the first. <laughs> They're only going to have three of three those. First three No, no, no. Here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to enter that NCAA tournament as the conference tournament champion. And whoever that team is is going to Dayton. You can mark that down. They don't have a well, first four team this year. It could be Oregon. Well, Oregon. Oregon, Oregon has the games in front of them. 
They're right yeah. there. I mean, honestly, Don't count they could Dane be Allman first four. Uh, Oregon, imagine- Oregon has Arizona, UCLA, USC all, all in a row left, right, and two of right. them are at home. The, the yeah. LAs are at Oregon, but they got to win them all. One thing that's going to hurt Dane Altman down the stretch is that I'm not coaching. He beat my <laughs> ass six times in a row. <laughs> Did he beat you six in a row? Six in a row. No wonder why you think he's John Wooden. And, and, you know, two of them, I think, no, three of them were like the last actual play of the game, you know, however you, you go. But, yeah, so fact I'm out of his way is not a good thing for him. Didn't they stay at La Paloma? <laughs> I don't know if they got the deal that some people were getting when they come here. I know that. But but uh, but there's no no doubt they like they like Tucson. That be a huge game on Saturday. I think it's a huge game for Oregon. It's also a, a huge game for Arizona because – trying to to win the Pac-12 regular season championship. Obviously, they're they're alive for that one seed. And, you know, you talk about a different type of pressure, Jeff. We talked earlier about Xavier. You know, you know look, just got to keep playing here in February and on your way to that tournament. There's other pressure of, you know, now you, you're playing with that burden of being a one seed and you have to keep being yourself. That's not as easy as everybody thinks either. And there's probably six to eight teams that are feeling that right now. All right, uh, another question in the chat here. Who wins this weekend? Tennessee at Arkansas. Arkansas. Sean? Then that Home place crowd. Is, I mean, it's what we just talked about. That bonkers. Oh, I kind of want to go, but. By the way, I, Tennessee equally has the home court advantage going on uh, in Knoxville yeah. right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's in a great environment as well. Tennessee's a different team on the road scoring the ball, and I think Arkansas's defense is is – is really playing well right now. But that's another guy, by the way, in March, you better watch out for is J.D. Note. Note, yeah. That dude right there, man. He's a really good player. Yeah, he is serious. He's a really, really good player. But that, you know, that's the thing you, you someone was asking me about the Pac-12, you know, earlier today or yesterday. And it's, I think that's the one thing that, that, that the Pac-12 has lost, maybe perhaps more than any other conference because of the pandemic and COVID, you know, I, I it's the area, it's the footprint, it's yeah. LA County, but yeah. you know, this year got to keep in mind, like both USC and UCLA played games where they weren't, didn't have people ditto right. for Stanford. And then you watch like an Auburn or an Arkansas or Tennessee, yeah. and yeah. you got like 18 or 20,000 of the most excited rabid fans in that building. And, you know, I, I think that's hurt the PAC 12 a little bit. Um, you know, especially when you compare it to those other conferences. I want to know my question, who would you rather host with you guys? The choices are me, Fanna, Fanna, Doster, or Mama, Mama Hog. Can we get Mama Hog on here? (laughs) I mean, you, no question. You would absolutely. We need Mama Hog and Goody in the same pod and we'll, we'll uh, referee. She can get after it. That was one of the, I, I, that's one of the things that's made me laugh harder than I've laughed in a long, long time. When I saw that video, I, (laughs) I I mean, it, that was just, that was, that was special, but Fana, he's, you know, Fana is Tom Brady. I mean, he makes everybody around them better, Jeff. He does. It's just, uh, you just, all you have to do is just go along for the ride, man. He's just, he's talented. Is that the first game just has to Providence has lost when Fana is at the game? 
I think it's when he's called games. So I think they're they're still intact. I think so. He Cooney's, just went to the game as a fan last night. Correct. He didn't call. <laughs> so I think we're still good. And Cooley Cooley's just got to get him on the call. That was right. the problem. Is it was a CBS Sports Network. Oh yeah, game. yeah. It was a different network. Lapis. Yep. But they got to just figure it out. Like Cooley, if I'm Cooley, I'm I'm slipping CBS Sports Network some cash. Yeah. Uh, Fox, you got to have them on every game. Uh, from here on out, fan has got to fan has got to get on the NCAA tournament so he can do one of those Gus Johnson finish calls. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> How about Hummel's got a decent game out there right now? Gonzaga's only up fourteen uh, <laughs> in Malibu. I told Hummel like uh, get out in the beach. He hadn't. He'd been out there for two days. He hadn't. I tell even you seen what, I give Robbie yet. credit. It isn't like he's just hunkered down in the Midwest doing the Big Ten. He's right. everywhere. Everywhere, every night. It, it should be honestly a contest of every night. Where's Hummel? And I yeah. kind of started it, but it should be every day. Like, where's Hummel? And he should have to take a picture wherever he is when he sees that tweet. That's where he is every day. Well, trust me, the place he's at right now, he wants to be there longer than some of the other places he's gone to. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you don't think he wants to come back to, to Chicago right now, being in Malibu? <laughs> Lorenzo yeah. Romar could stay there forever, right? Forever. And be he happy. is he is the nicest person that ever. I've ever been around. Uh, one of the great people in college sports and any player that he's coached, any person that's worked with him or anybody that knows him would say the exact same thing as me. He's the best. I'll tell remember- you what, back in 2006, Julius Hodge, NC State, returned a game to Washington. And I'm telling you right now, that may have been one of the most absurd arenas that I was ever in. They're right on top of you. Mm -hmm. Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, Trey Simmons, Bobby Jones. And I mean, you talk about a squad, but that place was on fire that night. I mean, I was, it was the first time I was ever there. I was like, this is like Cameron because they're right behind you. They're right behind mm-hmm. you, and they had it rolling. Brandon Roy, it, oh. I know he's like long gone now with his knee. When he was at Washington, and they played him at the four, oh my god, yeah. All right, let's finish, guys, with our our cheers of the night. Uh, Arch, uh, I'll let you start off with, uh, unless you want me to, if you need some time to think about your For cheers of the che- night. But, cheers uh, of the night. Yeah, who you who who you doing your cheers? Uh, pick somebody. You guys mm. have done this before, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've done it. Why don't you go first? I'll go first. All I got. What do I got here? Hold on, I gotta find something that's uh, drink worthy here. I don't know. I I gotta go out and buy some more stuff, but I got some shipyard or something. I'm gonna cheer to Jeff Capel and the Pit Panthers. Yeah, I don't know how you catch it. They've had a tough go. Those kids, man. They get a win like that at Carolina in Chapel Hill. It's one they'll never forget. Um, so for the kids, for Jeff Capel, to me, cheers. No doubt. Uh, that, that was a big win. I, I think I got mine. certainly their best win of the year. Um, and, you know, no as doubt. much as you want to hate on North Carolina for losing the game, you have to give credit where credit's due. Like Arch said, they, they made 10 threes, and uh, they showed up, man. They showed up after a, a tough a tough. A lot of tough things uh, in their on their path to getting there. You know, um, 
Look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna toast. I watched that Providence game. I love Ed Cooley. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna toast like the whole thing. Jay Wright, <laughs> Colin. You're Gillespie. toasting the wrong night again. Right, toast tonight. You gotta Sean. toast tonight. tonight. We've been tonight. on here so long; it feels like tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what day you it is. You always toast the other day. Ah, damn, Sean! Keep up, keep up. There's go rules ahead. that go Arch, along with Arch, cheers. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm definitely cheering. Uh, sending the cheers out to Rutgers, uh, Steve Peichel, his staff, and his yep. team. That is a that is a tough, gritty, hard yeah. group from the from the boss man all the way to the last player on the bench. And um, those guys are playing really well. And tonight, being able to knock off Illinois at home, just another step in them playing their way into the tournament. Yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to second Arch's uh, toast, Jeff. I don't I don't have on, any John. better. Arch, Arch, can we let me we give a second toast? Let me give a second toast. I'm going to put a second toast out there to the number one pick in the draft, Jabari Smith. He was 10 for 16, seven for 10 from three for 31 points tonight at home in another win. And uh, you could salute Walker Kessler for another uh, 22 points and seven blocks as well. I actually got my toast. Oh, what do you got? <laughs> I'm gonna toast Nate Oates, top assistant. Nate got tossed tonight from the Good game. One. I like it. They were down at home to Mississippi State, and without Nate Oates there, the rest of the staff and and that young coach I didn't realize didn't... he got tossed. I thought he got tossed after the game, like they had won it. No, I didn't realize it was in. They went on a run after yep. he got tossed, and he didn't get his money's worth at all. <laughs> yeah, he's getting his money's worth on the phone right now. Yeah, but yeah, I'll tell you this. It's a tough situation to be put in. And I thought that that, that Alabama staff did a great job. Yep. He did a great job. And you know what? Maybe he needs a little bonus money for uh, the job that he did, being that he, he got a very important victory. You lose that game at home, their path to winning Arches National Championship gets that much harder. <laughs> hey, did you see? Did you see the number one strength of schedule in America? Is that they got that covered. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. It they is ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, listen, uh, thanks to everybody for joining us tonight uh, on Field of 68 After Dark. I'm Jeff Goodman. Sean Miller, thanks. Arch, thanks. We'll see you tomorrow.